This episode was recorded in September of 2023. Some personal updates and cultural references may be out of date, but the history hasn't changed and our humor, as you know, is timeless. Enjoy. This is Hashtag History, episode 131. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. Welcome. Oh my God. <laughs> to season 14 of Hashtag History. My God. We, this is the first time we have recorded together in, I think, six months. Yeah. I, that's exactly what I was going to say is it's always a little weird coming back after a break between seasons, but yep. this feels especially odd uh, yes. for us because as many of you know, we took a very long break. The longest, the longest we've ever break done. we've mm-hmm. ever taken after season 13 because mm-hmm. our very own Rachel became a mother. I mean, among other things. I am your mother. You listen, listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> okay, I don't know the rest. Yes, I did. Yeah, do I you did. Wanna, I mean, update um, people. Do I want to talk about it? They slept in their cribs for the first time last night, so I'm going on three hours of sleep. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything's good. They were born in June. We, uh, so I had twin daughters for those that don't know and with twins it's something like i don't it's less than 50 percent of multiple mothers make it to to even 35 weeks and i was able to make it all the way to 38 weeks which was the longest that our doctor was going to let us go yeah um with twins so we made it to the due date that i can't decide which is scarier like making it to your due date and then knowing like oh this is what is happening today yeah or like which has more anxiety is like making it to the day and then like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, we're doing this thing when you're driving to the hospital? Yeah. Or is it scarier for like your water to break and it's spontaneous and you're like, oh my God, okay, we're doing this today. I feel like that sounds scarier. So yeah. I, and I, I thought the planner in me would like the route that we yeah. took more. I, yeah. I don't, I think it's all scary. Oh um, yeah. Because Terrifying. truly, <laughs> at, so I had a, a C-section and as the anesthesiologist was like talking me through like here's what we're gonna do and then we're gonna do this blah 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 I was like is there a way I cannot like is there a way we cannot do this anymore I think I've changed my mind (laughs) I think I don't want to do any of this um I will say though is it's what they always say is like the second you see your babies it was like oh totally worth it totally worth it yeah they're awesome they're great um one of them was small and we knew that all throughout pregnancy so she was in the NICU for a couple weeks and that was horrible yeah but she is i she's a fighter and i say she's a fighter about even the things that are good for her like sleeping and yeah. eating she everything. fights everything, everything but she's had to her whole life so that's why she does what she does yeah um, but they're both so freaking sweet and yeah i mean that's all there is to say really i think they're precious they're precious they, they are they really are they are every morning we look at them we're like my god they're just the cutest things we've ever seen mm. my my husband has turned into a total like super mushy he when he like the other day he was looking at one of our girls and he was like okay okay fine i'll buy you a car like whatever you want because she started like smiling and kind of cooing at him that's their newest thing and he's just like whatever you want i'll, I'll buy it right now yes yep. you tell me he's already started college funds for them serious yep. true story yeah, well, he started so, college funds he probably did that before they were even born yeah. um i think that we had them home for about a week oh and, and okay. he started sending out the qr code to family if they wanted to donate to their college funds right. so you know the important things have been taken care of Anyway, that's that's me. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster of the last six months, um, good and bad. Yeah, and so while uh, Rachel was, you know, dealing with that, becoming a new mother, uh-huh. uh, becoming the most amazing mother I've ever seen. Oh, stop! Um, I was doing nothing. <laughs> That's not true because you did your biggest event that you, you did like a month, I think like a month-ish after 
we had stopped recording. True. You did your biggest event that you like gear up for every single year. And then the second biggest event that, that I do. Oh, yes. The yeah. one that just recently yes. happened. Yes. yes. So you've been doing things. And I did finally get to see um, Leah in action all these years. We've talked about her being an event planner, but I've never seen it. I mean, I've said this to you. You're totally in your element and I get why you do what you do. You're very good at it. Yeah. Because the whole time I was like, well, huh. like I would be literally freaking the f- <laughs> I'd be freaking out. <laughs> But you're just super chill and calm and yeah. right, this is what we're going to do. And that didn't work. So here's the plan B. And yeah, yep. Sometimes I'm not, but that day I was. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, it was fun to I, I got to volunteer at the event um, and everyone and it was, was super like, fun. Really? You're, you want it because you were like at that point, like eight months pregnant uh, or like wait. Seven, yes. Yeah. Yeah, seven, eight, something like yeah. that. So everybody was like, uh, is she OK? I'm like, she, she I was she's fine. Rocking. Yeah. Other than you saw how huge my feet were at the end of the night. My God. But that wasn't anything new. Like, no, that they were probably they yeah. were probably a touch bigger than they would have been had I just laid around at home. But yeah. even laying horizontally my feet were getting that big towards the end yeah. so I, it was good it was a good distraction for me and it was cool to see you in action yeah so it was cool having you there it was fun okay well, well this yeah. week to kick off season 14 mm. i decided to do a topic that i've always been like peripherally interested in but never really knew all that much about mm-hmm. we all know i love world war ii history yeah feel like most of us do. I, I was just going to say who doesn't. Um, like I was thinking about it and I feel like saying you like World War II history is kind of like saying you like pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> like we it's all basic. like it, but it does give off a hint of basic bitch energy. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like, I like history. Like what? Well, I mean, World War II. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. That's what you mean. Today we'll be diving into a very specific, very niche portion of world war ii mm-hmm. history the navajo code talkers ah. for those of you unfamiliar with the navajo code talkers they were a group of over 400 navajo men recruited by the united states marine corps during world war ii to create a code for war correspondence based on their very complex native language so cool Despite their courage and willingness to utilize their native language for the success of the U.S.'s war effort, their contributions would go almost 30 years without recognition due to the secrecy of the Navajo Code Talker program. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I can't wait to get into the nitty gritty of this episode, but you know what time it is. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell how excited I am to have a drink? So excited. (laughs) Okay, let's jump right into it. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Okay, so for our longtime listeners, you already know that the weeks that Leah puts together the research for the episodes, I get to put together the cocktail. And as you could also probably hear from my giddiness, this is my first cocktail on the podcast in over a year. Yeah, oh my I God. stopped drinking last August. Wow, 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 wow! And yeah. and she put real, real li- liqueur. L- liqueur. I pumped and dumped, so we're good to go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't do the dumping part yet. Yeah, we're good to go. I'm super excited to finally be trying out a cocktail. I 
remember that I wasn't particularly bummed to not be drinking some of the cocktails last season because some of them some of them were kind of gross. Some of them looked and smelled pretty gross. I don't even remember them, honestly. I'll have to go back. Um, they weren't great, and so I wasn't <laughs> that envious. But there were a few here and there that made me wish that I was partaking in them. So I'm glad to be back on the cocktail drinking side of things and happy to once again be trying all the cocktails, the good, the bad, and the stinky. <laughs> And before we dive into the cocktail, we have to, of course, thank this week's cocktail sponsor, which is the incredible Tux Lurzel from the Beyond Reproach podcast. Yes, you all know how much we love them. We talk about them every second that we can, (laughs) literally every second. They basically are our co-hosts without being our co-hosts. They might as well be. (laughs) Um, They are also on a bit of a hiatus right now, but they have so much great content to consume that you could dive right into it now and it would be a while before you caught up to the present. For sure. For sure, for sure. Tux bought us three cocktails, two of which we had last season. Along with sponsoring the cocktails, he sent along a note saying, you guys are seriously the best and I wish we could buy you some drinks in person, but this is the next best thing. And we completely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, We would love to do cocktails any day, you name it. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. Wyoming. I was was like, (laughs) where's... Yeah, exactly. We'll meet in Idaho. That sounds not great, but let's do it because we would love to do that one of these days. And you too can sponsor a cocktail for this podcast. In fact, as of the date of this recording, we still have one spot left for a cocktail sponsorship this season. All you have to do is head to our website at hashtag history-pod.com and click on the support us tab. Or you can head to the link in our bio on our Instagram. We are there at hashtag history underscore podcast. Now we've talked about this in a few of our previous episodes related to Native American history. We've addressed the issue of alcoholism in Native American cultures, which has ties back to colonial times when Europeans brought along with them strong alcoholic beverages previously unknown to Native Americans. They use these liquors for trade, even intoxicating Native Americans with the liquors during negotiations. Mm Unlike the colonists, Native Americans had not yet built up a tolerance for the liquors, leading to an unhealthy addiction that can still be seen in many Native American cultures to this day. And so obviously because of that, I did not want to put together a cocktail that was like, woohoo, the Navajo cocktail. Um, So what I wanted to do instead was represent World War II just in general. And I did that with a drink that is titled The Suffering Bastard. Before I dive into the history behind this drink... Let me tell you what's in it, and then we'll just try it out. Okay. So the Suffering Bastard cocktail has one ounce of bourbon, one ounce of gin, one ounce of lime juice, a dash or several dashes (laughs) of Angostura bitters. As we do. As we do. And four ounces of chilled ginger beer. It looks amazing. It smells amazing. Everything about it is, I'm very excited. Because like bourbon and ginger beer is my favorite. Like, yeah, that's my favorite. Yes. I like gin too. So bring it on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Cheers. Yes. I am your mother. <laughs> you listen, listen to, to me. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 10 out of 10? 10. 10 out of 10. Does it just taste like a mule? Yeah. They're, a Kentucky mule? Mm-hmm. I don't taste the gin at all. And she put some fancy-ass gin in there, I guys. did put very fancy gin in there. I, Ooh. You guys know I don't love gin, and so I had a a bottle of gin that was kind of, sort of a gift. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> A stolen gift that <laughs> that just sat in the back of the closet. Uh, gin that I would never purchase because it's like a $40 bottle of gin. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's why I don't really taste it is because it's smoother. Yeah. And I will say like maybe because I drink so many Kentucky Mules, which is essentially what mm, this is, mm-hmm. um, I can taste a little more of a floral. Very hint. faint floral. I taste that too. But it's good because it just it's yeah. like a little shake up on the Kentucky Mule. Mm-hmm. I like so it. So good. Mm-hmm. 
10 out of 10. 10. Why, we, we do this so very often. We start the season. And then we just go down from there. <laughs> Next time will be a 9. Time after that will be an 8. All the times after that will be a 2. Yeah. <laughs> There's no in between. Have we ever actually had a 2? Oh, the circus fire? I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Red and disgusting. Okay, that was the worst we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> My stomach feels sick. Okay, so there is a long history behind this drink that you can certainly look into should you be so inclined. But to briefly summarize, this was a drink that was created during World War II by a bartender named Joe Shalom. Shalom, a trained chemist, had, which is like fabulous to be a chemist and a bartender. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Right. He had overheard British soldiers complaining about the awful hangovers that they would get from the poor quality liquors making their rounds during the war. We all know, of course, I mean, it it wasn't quality. Everything's all rationed yeah. and people are making bootleg stuff. Yes. Um, so it wasn't great and they were getting these awful hangovers. So to combat this, Shalom created the Suffering Bastard with its mixture of two liquors, some bitters, and ginger beer, which we all know ginger is used often for motion sickness or for like settling an upset stomach. Yes. The drink ended up becoming so popular amongst the troops that Shalom received a telegram requesting eight gallons of the cocktail be delivered to the British front lines Jeez. for this one particular battle in Cairo. So it's just like so fascinating. There's so much more history to it. If you're interested, go check it out. Yeah. And I would say that I would drink eight gallons of this. I would so. easily. And easily. I was like, only eight gallons? <laughs> they only requested eight. Yeah. Because I would I easy. certainly put that down. Totally. Mm-hmm. And not win any battles, but really just sit on my couch <laughs> after yeah. drinking it. So uh, Yeah. <laughs> Before we dig in to this mm. very interesting topic, I just like that we always say dig in, dive always. in. Always. I wanted to get something off my chest mm. that I'm not sure that you know about me, Rachel. Tell me. In addition to being the history addict's equivalent of a basic bitch when it comes to my love for World War II, mm-hmm. I am also a basic bitch in many other facets of my <laughs> life, but especially because I love, and I mean obsess over, languages and accents i don't think i knew that but that does not surprise me in the <laughs> least bit about you like i'm that girl who watches every single shauma nyc video on youtube mm. if you've never heard mm-hmm. of him he like learns languages and then he goes and surprises people by speaking those languages and he speaks like 12 languages or something crazy and he learns like totally random weird ones that's cool like he'll just be on a subway and yeah people are talking like next to me all of a sudden joins the conversation yeah like so he's he actually speaks chinese fluently so he'll like go to chinatown in new york and like speak with them or he'll go to like Swahili you know speak mm-hmm. Swahili in Africa to you know the native that's cool. people that speak it and they're like what the fuck? that's cool <laughs> yeah it's cool I've, I've actually really enjoyed watching his stuff another example I make whoever is talking to me shut up while standing in line at Disneyland behind a foreign language speaking group so that I can quote unquote eavesdrop on them despite not actually understanding what they're saying. Have I ever done that with you? I, I don't remember that but what I was just thinking is it was with you with that family that was family. talking for like an hour about their Thanksgiving plans. Oh my gosh. Do you remember, so should we drive or because if I fly it's going to take you know what you know what no I'm going to fly Yeah. You know, because then I'll have all my luggage if, if, with me. If it wasn't and then, with me you certainly told me about it. Oh my god it was in the indiana jones line yeah. and they talked for a straight hour yeah, no that was with me uh, okay you me maybe I think it might have just been me. us yeah yes. the time we just went uh-huh oh my gosh my god yeah so uh not a foreign language but i am familiar with shutting up the so we can listen to yes yeah. eavesdropping certainly 
Another example, I'll watch endless videos where dialect experts break down why and how an accent in a specific region developed, like, for instance, why Appalachians and other isolated speech communities took on severe face-lowering vowels sounds in their speech patterns where their nearby contemporaries did not. That's really nerdy and really cool. I'm I'm weird. I love it. So maybe not basic? I wouldn't say that's basic. Okay, I I mean, everybody likes, like, language and... I mean, I've never done any of those things. <laughs> I've never done a single one of those things okay. other than the eavesdropping, but only English conversations. Right. Only ones, that's you the ones that I can understand. Right. Okay. Um, no, I don't think you're basic for that, but listeners, you let us know. Yeah. Let me know. Am I a basic which, bitch? Which one of us is the exception? Yeah. Yeah. So while not an expert in really any language, including English, <laughs> I, I find language and our use of it to communicate absolutely intriguing, which is why I decided to go with this topic, the Navajo Code Talkers. So before we learn about them, we first have to get a little background on the use of code and code talkers throughout history, specifically as it relates to wars. Mm. During wartime, troops and leaders have to communicate back and forth. But as history shows, the enemy is always listening. Mm. Prior to modern day technologies, this was often done by spies or the interception of written messages transported by couriers on horseback. But as the turn of the century rolled around and the Industrial Revolution produced new tools such as the radio, the telegraph and the telephone, it became easier and easier to intercept messages sent via radio waves. This could be a problem when your message about your forthcoming battle plans are intercepted by your enemy. So as time went on during World War One and eventually World War Two, the use of coded messages were implemented. Mm-hmm. We dive into this topic a bit in episode 67, mm. which is all about Alan Turing and his code cracking machine. I loved that episode. That was a really good one. And then also in episode 71, we kind of touched on it with Operation Mincemeat. Where one of the, my all-time favorite episodes. Where the British intelligence purposely used easily breakable codes to trick the Nazis. But for those who aren't avid listeners, to recap, codes over time would be deciphered either by complex computing machines or by language experts on both sides. In stepped Native Americans during World War One with their comparatively unknown languages. I love this. I just kind of got goosebumps. This is cool. Yeah. The idea of using Native Americans who were fluent in both their traditional tribal language and in English to send secret messages in battle was first put to the test with the Choctaw telephone squads and their counterparts from other Native American tribes during World War One. However, This discovery eventually led Germany and Japan to actually send students to the U.S. Mm -hmm. after World War I to study several Native American languages and cultures, including Cherokee, Choctaw, and Comanche languages. It's so amazing how World War II is just so massive and so complex that there can be things that you don't know about it. Like, this is kind of blowing my mind that this was a thing. Yeah. It's fascinating. This is really, really interesting. Yeah. And this is just, uh, you know, the tip of the the iceberg. Yeah, this is the background, right? Yeah. (laughs) This is amazing. One thing to note about the Cherokee and Choctaw specifically before we move on is that throughout the development of the U.S., they were part of what was often called the, quote, five civilized tribes, Mm -hmm. end quote, which is just gross. And I don't even want to dignify or repeat ever again. But basically, this term was used to describe them because they were so open to not only learning and taking on cultural traditions of Europeans who took over their lands, Mm. but also very open in sharing their own culture, language, land, Mm -hmm. 
everything. Mm -hmm. This is very different from a lot of other Native American tribes across the Western U.S., including the Navajo, which we'll get into. But in short, it made the Cherokee and Choctaw languages more accessible and easier to learn for U.S. enemies. This is just getting even cooler and cooler that the Navajo were a particular tribe or community Mm -hmm. that was more standoffish to being assimilated right yeah. is what you're saying like and not, so, not so, only standoffish but like um, and i don't mean to say standoffish no, 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 like no. in a bad way that they were like hey we have our own culture you don't need to yeah. we don't need to assimilate to yours and also like geographically mm. they're which we'll go into they're kind of like in the desert so okay. that makes them also not as easy to act physically yeah, access more isolated yeah mm-hmm. the other elephant in the room that we absolutely have to address before moving on is the irony of these Native Americans being asked to use their native languages to fight on behalf of the U.S. As we discussed in episode 43 on American Indian boarding schools, Mm -hmm. many of these eventual code talkers had actually been forced to attend government or religious run boarding schools as they grew up that tried to assimilate them and would actually punish them for speaking in their traditional languages. Yes. I I think of more recently how like beneficial it is to be bilingual. Like you get paid more if you're bilingual, but if you jump back Mm -hmm. even 30 years, like it was looked down upon to speak another language. And so it's just, it's so unfortunate, I guess is the word I want Mm -hmm. that we've had all of these waves in history of where it is beneficial to speak your native tongue. Mm -hmm. And when it is, not beneficial. Yeah. I'm glad we're in a wave where it does seem to be more mm-hmm. accepted. Definitely. I know that's not everywhere and by everyone, but I do yes. think generally. I, and the privilege of being California girls is probably yeah, part of it. Totally. Is that here it is so beneficial to yeah. be bilingual. Like mm-hmm. you get paid more at jobs to be bilingual because... Yeah. Yeah, you know, 20, 30%, if you answer phone calls for your job, 20, 30% of those people are speaking their, their native tongue. It's not English. Yeah. And so I, I agree with you. I'm glad that we're in a wave where it's more accepted and not only accepted, but really, really valued. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No one hates history. They just haven't found the right teacher yet. Or in this case, a nerdy best friend who loves to tell you all about world history, women's history, and weird history. Hi, I'm TK, the creator of For the Love of History podcast, a place for people who want to learn more but don't know where to start, and history lovers who want a break from the mainstream. From rat trials to warrior women, we cover topics from every country and era. Whether you're a history expert or just starting out, there's a place for you here in the time machine. So join me every Friday on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube for a brand new topic. See you there. Bye. Now let's do a very, very brief overview of the Navajo and their language. The Navajo or Dine meaning the people, Mm -hmm. are a Native American people of the southwestern United States whose ancestral lands occupy Arizona, New Mexico, and a bit of Utah. Mm. Their ancestors actually migrated from northwestern Canada and eastern Alaska around 1400 Common Era, along with the Apache Nation. I will not go into too much background on their amazing histories and fascinating culture, but I do encourage you all to take the time to learn more about the Navajo people if you can or if you're interested. And maybe also consider supporting them by visiting www.navajostrong.org, which is actually a nonprofit that supports the Navajo community. I love that. We're going to put that in on our Instagram too. Totally. Yeah. I love that. Now I'm going to dive a bit deeper into the Navajo language. So 
buckle that seatbelt <laughs> because it's gonna be a bumpy ride <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm ready the apache language is the most closely related to the navajo language because as i said they both migrated from similar territories and are both former quote-unquote members of the at the baskin language family which is in alaska and western canada okay and collectively with that um alaskan and Canadian native cultures, mm-hmm. they make up what is often referred to as the Nadine language family. Again, I could dive so so deep into this and talk about how because of the Bering Strait land bridge, the Nadine language family actually has some distant connections or similarities to languages found in isolated native Siberian regions and even as far as Tibetan languages. But I'll save you all from that particular form of torture. <laughs> Future episode. Yeah. <laughs> Navajo people call their language Dine Bizad, which translates roughly to the people's language. I also need to say that I have tried my best to learn the correct pronunciation of all of these words, but as a novice to the language, I am not perfect, and I do apologize about that. So what makes Navajo so ideal for code talking? Mm. Firstly, Navajo is not a written language, or at Mm. least it actually wasn't until more recently. That's really interesting. This made it incredibly difficult for anyone to learn Mm -hmm. it, except from the Navajo directly. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to note that in recent years, it has taken on the Latin alphabet to help in teaching it. So, for instance, you'll see some Navajo grammar charts utilizing the Latin alphabet. But over the majority of their very long history, Dine Bizad was only spoken. Oh, my God. This is so fascinating. Navajo also has extremely challenging pronunciation. It has 33 consonants compared to the 22 consonants in the English language, including a very often used glottal stop. Like an example of a glottal stop is say like a uh, o. Oh. Okay. You hear that like uh-huh. how that first o kind of gets cut off. Uh, oh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's mm-hmm. a glottal stop. Okay. Another example um, of their 33 consonants and very difficult ones to pronounce is an unusual L sound, which can be made by pushing your tongue to the top of your mouth and blowing air out the sides. Okay. Almost like a cross between like a lispy sound and hissing. This is so cool. And it even uses click sounds, which uh, are actually most common in many African languages. Mm -hmm. Add to all this, the 12 vowel sounds, oral and nasal vowels, short and long vowels, and even tonal sounds, meaning that the pitch is an important distinguisher in this language. And you've got yourself an incredibly complex and hard to learn language. Yeah, my mind just was blown. Yeah. With just that one paragraph right there. <laughs> my God. Even its closest linked native group, the Apaches, often cannot fully understand Navajo due to its unique pronunciation and terminology. In addition to all the intricacies in pronunciation is the fact that it is so grammatically complex as well. For instance, you can't just say you're eating something. Mm. They have a variety of words for consume, Mm. depending on what it is you are consuming or how you are consuming. So as, as an example, check out this little snippet of a grammar chart looking at the Navajo words for consume. Okay. Which before I even look at it, I would say I think that the English language should have more yeah. variations of the word eating because there are different types of eating. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, there's a lot here. Yeah, I mean, the basically, it's just there's a it's, lot. There's a lot, yeah. I'm sure that's what the the point was in showing this. But yeah, there's different variations of how you're consuming something. If you're chewing on something that's hard, if you're chewing on meat, if you're chewing on something that's mushy, um, there's a plural tense for consuming. Drinking, that's different too. 
drinking from an open gulping. container you're gulping you're drinking from an open container you're drinking from a closed container this is wow and they're all these are like the words here they're all completely different words. they're completely different they're not variations of the same word or right. sound right. they're entirely different wow yeah people that have learned this language that were not grown up like did not grow up in the culture and were spoken the language amazing. is amazing Honestly, yeah i don't know how people do it Wow. I mean, I think it's hard enough to learn another language, much less one that has 14 different words for essentially the same thing. Yeah. And that um, Shalma NYC uh -huh. YouTube uh, guy that I talked about, mm -hmm. he learned Navajo and he went to their um, their land, their, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of their towns. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he learns languages for a living. And he was like, this is by far the hardest thing I've I can ever only done imagine. in my life. <laughs> Yes, I would imagine. Yeah. If there are, when I say 14, maybe that's about how many were on there. Yeah. It, it was a dozen or more. Yeah. Variations of the same action. Yeah. It's, that's wild. Yeah. So very often in Navajo things, most languages categorize as nouns are actually categorized as verbs. <sighs> it's not about what a thing is, but what it does. Okay. So for an example, something like an army tank is described in a sentence, caterpillar tractor with a cannon on it instead of named. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. My, my brain exploded for a second and the pieces are like slowly being put back together. Mm -hmm. Slowly. <laughs> Did you see how slowly so, the brain yeah. was working? But uh -huh. I get it. Okay. Yeah. So it's so funny. There was some examples in my research where I would look, uh, you know, I was watching video, a lot of videos on this because I wanted to hear the language. Yeah. And a lot of them were like, it's like, it's not, I don't, you know, this is just, I'm pulling this out of my ass. This isn't mm -hmm. an actual example, but it was like, it's not a a uh, water glass it's a blah 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 sure like it was it's like a container a by which sentence. you drink out a container by which you drink water out of on a daily basis like it, it was mm -hmm. ridiculous not ridiculous Why? cool yeah <laughs> crazy yeah very different from the english language yeah finally the navajo were fairly isolated as i mentioned both geographically and culturally mm -hmm. not only are they located in the middle of the arizona and new mexico desert but they had very little social or cultural connections to anyone outside of the reservation at the time of world war 1 and 2 mm -hmm. this meant none of the axis powers let alone even people in the united states had ever even discovered let alone learned navajo wow one estimate actually indicates that less than 30 non-Navajos could understand the language at the outbreak of World War II. 30. 30 total. Total. Worldwide. Worldwide. Wow. Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> um, there were several very cool videos I watched that went further into the intricacies of the language, which I will link for you all in the show notes if anyone cares. But... Better than hearing me butcher this really cool language, I thought it would just be cool and most beneficial for us to listen to just a very short snippet of a Navajo speaker. Okay, this is actually, I'm really, really excited to do this because this is one of those people that learn by doing or by hearing. Yeah. And so this whole time you've been talking, I'm like, that's fascinating. I can't imagine it. Yeah. So this is the Navajo president. Okay. Um, at least he was the president 10 years ago. I don't know if he still is. <laughs> I, I hear the clicks, I hear the infl the lisp yeah. sound, and I hear the inflections of mm -hmm. like range. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It goes up a lot. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's the end of my geek out over this language. Okay. We could go forever. Could, I'm, I'm could, really yeah. fascinated. Okay. Now let's get into how the Navajo Code Talkers came to prevalence in World War II. 
Heading into World War II, many U.S. military leaders were uneasy about continuing to use Native American code talkers, fearful that the code would be easily cracked now that their enemies had studied many of those Eastern Native Mm -hmm. American languages we talked about. Mm -hmm. That was until Philip Johnston, the son of missionaries who actually grew up on the Navajo reservation, read a newspaper article in 1942 about the U.S.'s concerns and desire to create an unbreakable code. Also, they were putting this in the newspaper like, uh, needed, yeah. wanted an unbreakable code to defeat the Nazis. Yeah. Okay, great. I don't know the particulars of how it was written. Like, call, call you know, call, call 888. 888. <laughs> oh, so growing up learning the Navajo language and customs, even serving as an interpreter for a Navajo delegation in Washington, D.C. at the age of nine. Wow. Johnston, who was also a World War I veteran, knew Navajo would be the perfect unbreakable code due to its complexity and position of being unknown to most outside of their lands. Yeah, so he's one of those 30 people. He's one of those 30. (laughs) Despite their trepidations, the U.S. Marines took Johnston's suggestion and put it to the test, staging trials under simulated combat conditions, demonstrating that Navajos could encode, transmit, and decode a three-line English message in only 20 seconds. This is compared to the contemporary machines of the time, which required 30-plus minutes to perform the same task. Machines versus humans. Yeah. So in 1942, they launched the first class of the Navajo Code Talkers, comprised of 29, originally 30, Navajo men who went through basic training and worked together to develop and memorize a unique military code using their mostly unwritten language. Mm -hmm. The first type of code they created was called Type 1, and it consisted of 26 Navajo terms that stood for each individual English letter mm. that could be um, used to spell out a word. Okay. For instance, the Navajo word for ant, wolache, was used to represent the letter A in oh. English, A for ant. Mm-hmm. Now, as you can imagine, using whole ass words <laughs> for each letter in a communication can be time consuming. I, I was envisioning one word being... Like and a word like ant, but instead it's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, <laughs> yes. yeah. right? So they went on to create a second code called Type Two, which contained words that could be directly translated from English into Navajo, developing a dictionary of sorts containing initially 211 and eventually 411 Navajo words, uh, utilized as codes for common military words, titles, and even countries that didn't originally exist in their language. For example, there is no Navajo word for submarine. Sure. Why would there why, be? Why would there be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the code talkers agreed to use the term beshlo, which translates to iron fish. Cool. I've copied a few more of the type two code words because I think they are super fun. So I don't know if you want to just yeah. call a couple of them out and don't feel weird about pronouncing them. Yeah, I would say my pronunciation would be really bad. But for example, switchboard, why would they have yeah. a word for that before this? Mm-hmm. Fighter plane, bomber. Um, several uh, now states or countries, Mm -hmm. Alaska, America, Australia, Germany, Philippines. Why would they have language or words for that in their language? So this is super cool because it's even more complicated or like even more unbreakable because already people don't know the language. But in in addition to that, they're creating new words based off of that language. Totally. Like there's no way to break that. Yeah. And I just wanted to pull a couple, one of these out that I love. Like for instance, the word for Australia was the Navajo word or, or like sentence that means rolled hat because mm. Australians would wear a rolled oh, hat. The, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like a fighter plane, they called it a hummingbird. 
or like cool. a dive bomber was a chicken hawk. Uh-huh. So they used like things that were familiar to them to name, to create new words, to create new words. Mm-hmm. So learning some of the codes and translations they used brings to the forefront of my mind one very shocking thing, which was that these volunteers coming from a somewhat isolated reservation and sheltered from many aspects of modern warfare had never even seen a tank, Mm -hmm. for example, before. Mm -hmm. I know this is true for many soldiers, especially during World War One, who were coming face to face with new weapons of war. But I have to imagine the culture shock of going from a somewhat sheltered reservation life to action on the battlefield in a historically gruesome war had to be unimaginable for these very brave men. Mm -hmm. Oh, and when I say men, I mean, in many cases, boys, because a very large portion of the Navajo code talkers recruited for World War Two were underaged or just barely over 18. They got paid for it, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. (laughs) I'm sure they did, but like probably not. Pennies. Pennies, yeah. Wow. So I have a couple images Mm -hmm. just for us to discuss. Yes. Um, Children. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they're young, Mm -hmm. right? And it's just an image of them on the radio talking. Yeah, it it certainly looked like they're, they're... surrounding is warfare right like they're yeah. in the trench not in the trenches when i not literally in the f- trenches yeah. figuratively in the trenches yeah out there like decoding stuff or, or writing code yeah um and here's another picture similarly that is a uh, child that is an actual child i would put him maybe around the age of 10 yeah speaking on a radio and i assume navajo code mm-hmm I am blown away at how young he looks. Yes. And he's in like uniform Mm -hmm. serving the U.S. military. Yeah. Over the course of World War II, over 400 Navajo men served and were certified as Navajo code talkers with at least 80 Navajo code talkers serving in each division of the U.S. Marine Corps at one time. Wow. Once a Navajo code talker completed their training, they were sent to a Marine unit in the Pacific Theater with the primary purpose of transmitting information on tactics and troop movement orders and other vital battlefield communications over telephone and radio. So they served exclusively in the Pacific. There, okay. were, there were no Navajo code talkers in, mm-hmm. um, you know, like Europe or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also were trained to use different radio equipment, make repairs in the field and run telephone lines, all in addition to regular Marine duties. So their code talking was just extra. They, they're Marines. Yes. And they're children. And they're <laughs> children. They are children. <laughs> They often worked in pairs, obviously, with one on the front line and the other behind the lines at command outposts, communicating over radio or telephone. For obvious reasons, there were not code manuals. Sure. These guys had to memorize everything. In addition to all of the other things they're doing as Marines. Yeah. Because let's remember, they weren't just chatting over the radio in their native language. The Navajo code talkers used a memorized, coded system (sighs) utilizing their native language. So they were almost learning... I don't want to say they were learning another language. They weren't, but they were learning a more complex version of their own language, Correct. a compounded, a compounded, ver- changed, modified yeah. version of their own language that they had to then memorize. Yeah. And this <sighs> makes me think of, I actually did after, do, after doing my research, mm-hmm. um, watch the Nicholas Cage I knew movie, this. Wind Talkers. I, I hoped that Nicholas Cage was going to make an appearance at, at at least one I point almost, during this episode. I should have brought the frame photo. I, I wish that you had. Yeah. Um, for inspiration. Yeah. So Nico made me watch it. Um, mm. And it's not a horrible movie. It just was very 
historically inaccurate, obviously. And also my one complaint about it is like for being named after the Navajo Code Talkers, Wind Talkers, as Mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. of them were called, they were like secondary or even like thirdly characters. Like, oh, it was kind of odd. Like the story I afterwards I was talking to Nico about it and I was like, the story actually wouldn't have changed if they weren't there. Wow. It was kind of odd. So it doesn't show their importance. Their importance at all. At all. Wow. I've never actually seen the movie, but I, when you first said you were going to bring this topic, I... You're like, she's watching Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is... Yes. Yep. So the program did have to overcome some hurdles and criticisms during its tenure. The biggest one being the difference in Navajo dialect. So it turns out, just like most languages, the Navajo recruits didn't all use the exact same terminology or accents and dialects. Sure. They were also trained across several recruiting periods with mm-hmm. some terms and codes actually changing over time. Mm-hmm. So one, one code talker who was trained in the first batch of recruits might have used the Navajo word for ant in place of the letter A, where a later recruit use the Navajo word for apple. Sure. So that could get confusing. Definitely. But despite these obstacles and some criticism about the program, praise for their skill, speed, and accuracy accrued throughout the war. For example, at Iwo Jima, Major Howard Connor, a 5th Marine Division signal officer, said, quote, were it not for the Navajos, the Marines would never have taken Iwo Jima. And we don't know about them. Or I didn't know about no, them. No, you don't hear about them. But everyone knows Iwo Jima, if you know anything yeah. about World War II. Yeah. Even if you don't know anything really about World War II, you know the iconic photograph that comes from Iwo Jima. Yes. You don't know that this is how they got there. Yeah. Wow. So that um, officer, Connor, had six Navajo code talkers working around the clock during the first two days of the Battle of Iwo Jima, who received and sent over 800 messages, and all of them without error. I'm so glad I'm learning about this. This is so cool. Now, to really nail down how the Navajo code was utilized, because it's kind of, you know, we say, oh, yeah, they used words for whatever. Sure. I wanted an example. So Mm -hmm. I dug into a specific transmission that took place during the Battle of Iwo Jima, and it helped make things clearer to me as to why and how their code was so special. Mm -hmm. And I promise I won't go into like a detailed battle talk here. (laughs) But in short, a Navajo code talker who was part of a company of Marines that was under attack and pinned down in their foxhole transmitted the code in Navajo, sheep eyes, nose deer, destroyer tea, mouse turkey, onion, sick horse, Three six two bear. Okay. <laughs> I was the whole time I was like, okay, let me try to interpret this. Yeah. Nope. Okay. And another code talker who was at the command post on the beach wrote it down and deciphered it to say, send DTM, meaning demolition team, to Hill three six two B. The transmission and deciphering of the message took twenty seconds oh. for the Navajo code talkers, and the Marine Company was quickly saved. Had it taken the usual 30 plus minutes of deciphering for other coded messages, they would not have survived. Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. And not only how quickly they were able to interpret messages without error, Mm -hmm. send and interpret messages, but also it is an in my opinion, just looking at this, an unbreakable code. Like not only would the alternatives have taken longer, but they also potentially could have been broken. Yeah. (sighs) So Throughout the course of World War II, the Navajo codes were never broken. Mm. The Japanese, who were exceptionally skilled at code breaking, Mm -hmm. remained 
completely baffled by the Navajo language because the code wasn't just hard to break for non-native speakers. At one point in time, even a Navajo soldier who was not part of the Code Talker program was actually taken prisoner in Bataan and Mm -hmm. forced by the Japanese to translate Mm. the messages. And he would later go on to say, I never figured out what you guys were saying (laughs) when speaking to a Navajo code breaker. Even their own people didn't know what the f*** they were talking about. Wow. I'm sure for him, he could pick up like one out of every 10 yeah, words or and, something. And like, like he, yep, that sounds familiar. But th- there was this compounded, exactly. modified word. Like he probably could understand what words they were saying. Sure. But he doesn't know that ant stands for, or like, hummingbird you know, means, means fighter plane. Yeah, How he would he know, know that? that? He wasn't trained yeah. in that. Despite their heroic contributions during the war, Navajo code talkers were told that they had to keep their work secret. Due to the inherent value in the system they helped create and establish, the U.S. military decided to keep the program classified in case the code talkers were needed again in the future. Okay. (laughs) I mean, yes. Yeah. But then that also means that people go without credit. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they came home to the U.S. and the Navajo people with little fanfare Mm -hmm. and with very few actually knowing the extent of their contributions to the war. Of course. Eventually in 1968, so like 30 years later, Mm -hmm. World War II Code Talker program was declassified. But despite this, national recognition of the program and the contributions the Navajo made to the war effort was really slow. Mm -hmm. While there was some recognition in the 70s through the 80s, it wasn't until 1992 that 35 Navajo Code Talkers attended the dedication of the Navajo Code Talker exhibit at the Pentagon, and in 2001 that the Congressional Gold Medals were given to the surviving Navajo Code Talkers and other Native American Code Talkers for their contributions. And even those acknowledgments are certainly not enough because, again, I am a huge history buff. We all love World War II history. I didn't know about this with the exception of the Nicolas Cage movie, which and that even you said, having watched it, if the Navajo Codebreakers hadn't even been a part of it, it it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, it really, really devalues what they did. Yeah. And, and I think the, that movie came out in 2002, like the year after that um, congressional gold medals were given out. So Mm -hmm. I really feel like it was like they had a war movie with Nicolas Cage and then they were like, let's throw this in for clout or something. Even though the movie is quite literally titled Wind Talkers. So I absolutely loved digging into this topic because it kind of drew on several of our previous episodes Mm -hmm. as I highlighted throughout the episode and was such a cool way to link all these different facets of history together. I also very much appreciate the absolutely embarrassing irony that the same institution that supported and in some cases funded the erasure of Native American cultures Mm. and languages through American Indian boarding schools and other very racist policies and programs then turned to those very same groups and peoples for help during their time of need. Well, of course, because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Joe Morris Sr., who was a former Navajo code talker, said, quote, my weapon was my language and we saved a lot of lives. I love that. End quote. But what was most moving to me during my research was that despite being forced into boarding schools and punished for speaking their own language as children, most of the Navajo men who would go on to volunteer for the war effort did so willingly and with absolute love and loyalty to the U.S. and their people. That's really moving, especially in addition to that, their contributions still for many being unknown to this day. Yeah. Like not only were they assisting, but they were assisting in a way that would never go recognized or never receive credit. Mm hmm. Peter McDonald, who's now 96, was a 15-year-old recruit who lied about his age to join the Marine Corps as a Navajo code talker. He said in an NBC Nightly News interview in 2022, quote, 
America is a diverse community. We're made up of all different backgrounds, different languages, different skills, and different talents. When it comes to saving the liberty and peace that we enjoy, we need to use all the talents that we all possess, Mm. end quote. That's great. Now, if you're like me, you like to take at least one little snippet of wisdom from each episode. So if you've learned anything from today's topic, I hope it's this. Our diversity is our strength, not our weakness. Our differences are our weapons, not our Achilles heel. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed in this episode to our Instagram, and then all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. Check us out on social media. Mm-hmm. You can find us most active on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. Share about us with your family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. And if you would like, you can come join us over on Patreon, where for as little as one $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply, get access to some behind the scenes content, and automatic 15% off all merchandise. And we mail you cards and stickers. Sure do. Wait, so. <laughs> all right, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Oh my God. Okay. Oh, it's me that I, I, I forget that I start Every even time. the ones that you do. Yeah. I am a mother. Wait, that's not the word. I, no, I am, <laughs> I am your, your. I mother. am your mother. <laughs> well, well, I was gonna say number one, I don't smell them. Okay. Number two, my nose is a little stuffy. Right, I'm crying. Yeah. And number three, I've been changing explosive diarrhea for the last three months, so we're good to we're go. We're good. Yeah, we're, we're fine. Literally, nothing there's nothing. There ever. is nothing that can smell worse than a poopy diaper. That do you want to hear this? Has somehow seeped up through the front. And you don't ever, like you could come here not brushing your teeth or putting deodorant on, and I probably wouldn't smell it. Great. <laughs> so I'm just being honest. Great. <laughs> I my my nasal cavity doesn't. There's no senses left in it. So. <laughs> Okay. Once a Nova Nova <laughs> Nova ho ho. <laughs> Signal? Is that right? I don't know. Said. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Three. Oh my god. <laughs> Windbreakers, yeah. which is another name for them. Uh-huh. Wow. Wind talkers. Wind. Wind. Not windbreakers. So all I talk about now is fart and poop. Yeah. So. <laughs> breakers. I'm sorry. Okay. Continue. <laughs>